You are now listening to Well, Well, well Phila Now. Like, oh my god, did she just murder him? <laughs> oh no, his pussiness. Misandry. <laughs> yes, misandry. Oh, poor man. Ladies, serial killers are the best. Well, she's never going to get that stain out. Nothing says it's over like running over your ass. It had to be a woman. It had to have been a woman. Are you wearing it? How big were her breasts? <laughs> Hello, hello, friends. Although it's more coughing, not sneezing. Right. (laughs) What up, you guys? Coming to you live once again from fucking quarantine with our first midweek snack of season three. Live in the hotbed of uh, post episode one of series three. Did we all survive? Are we doing okay? We're checking in. We survived. We motherfucking survived. Right. Coming in with another corona hit from the interwebs because. What better way to process your feelings sometimes than through song? Like a musical, except the musical is life and life is also the ghetto. But (laughs) here's hoping that like people have been able to arrange their songs together, that the countries collectively will be able to arrange themselves together so we can get out of quarantine sometime before 2021. Like that? Because I've seen the new updates and they're like 2021. And I said, what? I mean, how much cross, how much are we trying to build a super, I I just want to, what is our goal ultimately? Collectively? Like, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to be like Move, drunk Vanessa bitch, Hudgens? You got coronavirus. No. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> That's we're what like, people trying to do. Well, like, you know, people are going to die. Quarantine. And it's going to be sad. But like, but how about we just follow Ooh, what's bitch, mandated? And we could just move past what's rough about this whole situation. Well, you know, shit is unpredictable. But also not completely unpredictable because many people did the predicting. But I mean... I have no answers for you. Humans gonna human. Humans are gonna human. But yeah, guys, so we are finally in the aftermath of the premiere of the first episode of season three. Slowly, slowly, catchy monkey. And as you guys already know, it was a fucking doozy. There was a lot that went on. There was a lot packed in. There were different things tried. Characters literally retired. Rest in peace. Kenny. Kenny, you deserved better. Yeah, I mean... I feel bad for everyone who didn't see it coming. I mean, because it was a lot to sort of swallow in that way. Um, was it? <laughs> I mean, for those who didn't see it coming, I mean, the, I was going through some of the, the feeds on like Twitter and there were people who just inconsolable and I felt so bad. Yeah, but I think being inconsolable is different than seeing it coming. Kenny was entirely underused last season. So realistically, you can kind of see these things coming because... This unfortunately happens to dozens upon dozens upon dozens of television characters throughout the course of television history that somebody gets fridged to progress the plot. And so, like I've said before, Elena being the most entertaining foil for Kenny and really his only foil because that was the initial conception that Phoebe Waller-Bridge had for the team that was going to be opposite Kenny. Once that was gone, they were sort of like, here's a character who is well-loved, who is one of the good people left and will move the storyline forward. And so we will use him 
as a plot device. And I don't know why it would be surprising to you when you were the one saying it last season that Kenny was underused. So. Oh no! All I said was I was reading people being sort of well. You said taken shocked. Taking being sad is one thing because I'm sad, but being shocked. I mean, yes, if you were maybe missing spoilers, but realistically, Kenny was in one outfit in the trailer. Every single interview that featured Sean Delaney, which were few and far in between, were very short. Or reading into stuff says, "Hey, he didn't shoot a lot of scenes this episode." And again, his own tweets and Instagrams earlier in the <laughs> last year indicated that he maybe didn't shoot enough episodes and then he tried to fix it but it was too late when you don't use a character they're on their way out usually so when you don't know what to do and it looked like last season emerald really did not know what to do with kenny so now there's nothing for kenny to do at all because he's six feet under well i mean yeah i won't even say maybe we'll get cadaver kenny but i just we would i mean now that flashbacks are on the table like we're back to I mean, we'll just see what Flash this writer were does. always on the table. Right, right. Well, they were never, the minute we were doing a time jump forward, flashbacks were on the table. Right. So, I mean, so it's not impossible that we won't see him again. So I'll just hold my, uh, hold my thoughts and just, you know, we'll, we'll Wait, see. Wait, why are what you happens? holding your thoughts? Yes. What, what, what thoughts are you holding? Holding them on what? On, on the cadaver? The, like, <laughs> this being the last, right. No, I don't. I don't understand. I don't get it. No. Well, if we are time jumping, it, maybe there'll be something in the missing hours, missing months. Maybe we may get that as a flashback, but we also may not. But we then why did you say cadaver? You just said you will well, hold your thoughts on the cadaver. I'm, I'm just saying that it's possible for us to get more Kenny aside from just episode one. I know. But why are you holding the thoughts was my question. You said I will hold my thoughts. And then I was like, on the cadaver? And then you said, yeah. So I'm just trying to figure out what are you holding uh, in relation to dead Kenny? Mm. Oh, well, I mean, I feel like we said at the end of our review of episode one that we don't know for sure if he was killed in the fall or if he was killed and then tossed over afterwards. It so seemed like an autopsy. Right. So we might get uh, we might get Julia. We might get some other specialist even though i'm hoping for julia because i highly enjoyed her and want to see more of her and carolyn needs consoling i mean from what they've setting up and how fast they're moving like it could be there i thought there could be a cadaver scene but i no longer think that that would really make any sense i think there's other ways they could show carolyn being affected in the workplace in places where she's supposed to be the same than actually having her look into the cadaver so i don't think we will see kenny apart from a vision or aberration from his mom or in the the coffin they can deliver off screen what happened to him if that's relevant but either way it's still going to be ruled a suicide publicly and if it's a murder that will be private knowledge for mi6 just like Gemma, because they cannot afford to have kenny's murder be an actual thing because if it is an actual murder then the police have to investigate it. Yeah, I agree with that. Technically, Kenny's already found, and Kenny was found by Eve. That is true. So perhaps they'll tell us who Eve calls or what she does in that moment. Perhaps she calls Carolyn. Perhaps she calls the cops. Perhaps she calls someone else who really knows how they deal with it. But Kenny's been found by Eve. It's right there. And so it's more so like I would think a call after the fact. Like what happened in episode one of season one, where something happens and then someone later fixes it and is like, lose that file erase that thing, delete that tape, and now this is the file that is here. And so perhaps that will be something that agitates Eve. She has good reason to be suspicious, but then she finds out from the postmortem that they declared it a suicide for obvious reasons, which she should be used to because it already happened to Nico. Ooh, maybe that's when we get Screamy Eve in the jacket yelling at Carolyn in the white 
she definitely yells at Carolyn at the funeral. That much is clear from last week's episode preview that we saw. That she does that. She screams no. I'm hoping that it's hard to know what Eve's initial motive is going to be. Like, yes, Kenny's there and in front of her. It's hard to assume that her first call is going to be to his mom. Like, it's hard. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's so hard to assume that. I don't see how Eve doesn't deal with Carolyn. She doesn't have to deal with Carolyn. She probably doesn't want to deal with Carolyn, but at the same time, it's inevitable. Right. Uh, well, there's... This is the chaos that we seem to be... The chaos that all the trailers were giving us for this entire series, this season. Uh, this is just making us just know for sure, yes, this is the wild ride that we're going to be on. I know that Eve thinks that she's done or wants to be done, but there's no way she can be done unless she removes herself from the scene. But she can't do that because of how involved she... Well, she already it, did that. That's what I mean. Like, she's bra- she's brought back in. That is the device of Kenny's death, is that they're saying, the writers, and reality that Eve has no real reason to come back to any of it because of what's happened. So that is all they had was Kenny to create this reason. So while it is a motivating factor, Kenny fans will probably be sore because Kenny could have still been useful, but they need someone who is going to generate a lot of emotion and he was the only character left because Elena has not returned. They did not establish anything with Jess or Hugo. And so there's literally no options with Bill dead. And so I get it. I get why Kenny was the option to go to because they literally had no one else to motivate Eve, but it's still shitty because it's it's a fridging. It's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's convenience. I get it. It will motivate Eve. It's still shitty for my once hopes and dreams that I had for Kenny. All the way, all the way back in season one when I thought him and Elena were eventually like make babies. But <laughs> right. <laughs> that's not what ha- that's right. not what happened. I didn't get that story. It's killing Eve, not killing Kenny. So. And with the frigging of Kenny, you now by proxy, you're forcing Carolyn to take an L where we haven't seen her take L's all series. I'm good with that, though. I'm not ungood with that. In fact, that's going to be one of the highlights for me of the situation is seeing how this presses Carolyn and what amazing nuanced acting Fiona Shaw will turn out. They did this to Kenny because it allows them to put Carolyn into a place she's never been before and theoretically could not be put into unless this happened to someone like her son. And of course, course eve getting back into the game in a way that feels plausible for the audience all right so for now what we can do is make our way over to make our way over to is this a journey <laughs> it is a journey <laughs> uh we can uh head over to the correction segment it's the correction segment wow did we totally fuck that up did we i mean i hope not did, did, I think we, did we? Yeah. and this is why we have snack episodes Okay, so this first correction is mine. Um, during the preseason snack, I definitely thought the building that Eve was running out of was some sort of a hospital of sorts. I didn't understand what the name of that building was for and how that could have not made it a hospital, even though it was a Googleable building. And since we saw it in the <laughs> in the episode in the final moments it's after true. what an hour and, and one minute not a hospital and all those commercials uh we realized that yes that's just a building in which the bitter pill operates so yeah it was not a hospital so i got that wrong so is that the end of your first correction uh yeah cool 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 this next correction is on me and i blame the booze from when i said it but 
it was last episode where I was eulogizing Kenny and I was like, is his name Kenny Martins? Because I literally could not remember what his last name was. It's Stoughton. It's Kenny Stoughton. I've said it. I've known it. But thanks to the Crown Royale that I was consuming at the time of our last recording, I forgot it. So even though it'd be super cool if Carolyn was handing out her maiden name to her children because that's how she rolls, it turns out it is Stoughton and that's probably his daddy name. Maybe we'll see his daddy in a funeral next episode. I don't know. Doesn't doesn't really matter. It doesn't right. matter. We it don't gotta meet him. Right. But yeah. Um then it's on me for my next correction. I was a big fan of the idea of Eve Palastri serving Nico divorce papers there on the uh Hopefully everyone was a good fan of that. Right. I mean, there was, big <laughs> there was artwork. Like, I just, it was the vibe we all just wanted. And immediately and out of the way, it's like, this keeps him alive. And this keeps him, this like one and done, mm-hmm. his character out of the story so that we can focus on Eva Villanelle and their tribulations. But we instead um, are told that those documents were for, it looks like a, uh, what do you call it? They were for uh a house um it looks like they were they got their house i can't deal with you (laughs) they some some papers to do with selling a damn house right because neither of those fools are living there right too many bad memories eve on her knees and we should burn the house for that memory and that's the end of that particular correction cool this next correction has to do with my keeper mention I forgot to mention, we were recapping the premiere episode that Constantine had mentioned Keepers to Villanelle in episode seven of season one entitled, I Don't Want to Be Free. And it actually happened during the take the pills, Constantine scene when they're having that exchange and Villanelle is making some demands of Constantine before she plans to kill him. And one of those demands is she wants to know who's in the 12. Constantine says he can't tell her who's in the 12 because only keepers know. And she wants to know what is up with the keepers. But Constantine is like, girl, please. And so basically that's what is said to Villanelle at the time by Constantine, which sticks in her head. And she re-references with Dasha in episode one of season three, where we find out that the keepers are higher up. They do stuff. They know stuff. They know who's in the circle. And that's where Villanelle wants to be. Whether or not Dasha will actually help her get there remains to be seen. I'm I'm excited that they kept her in recalling this keeper knowledge, but she's uh, but I have an issue with her not retaliating with this being struck in the head by a log. I need her to act on that in some with kind of way. Yes, like well, I need something like literally log related to be re- a retaliant. We're like, a season effort. removed from the log. So if you were looking for log retaliation, you probably should have looked in season two. I don't know how much sense it makes in season three. There's other things she could retaliate against Constantine for so far beyond her getting hit with a log. That is true as well. But yeah, that was it for my correction there. And it just created a new side want for Eve and Villanelle as a potential option is that they go on the run at the end of season three into season four, taking out the other 12 members that Villanelle hopefully learns exist before the season ends. Maybe she won't, but maybe she'll figure out like one or two or three names to Dasha. If that happens, I would like for her and Eve to hunt them down in season four. All right. And this next correction is uh, was my desire for Villanelle to be chapel shopping. When she's singing out of that giant that window. It was extreme. It was absurd. Chapel shopping, which was never a reality. But we all knew this, didn't we? 
<laughs> anyway, excuse me. Well, I can hold on to the idea that possibly it's still a chapel shop and it's just an upgrade because now for the knows. wedding that we didn't get to see. Well, this will be for <laughs> you don't her make new any wedding. sense. Her new wedding. No new wedding. Not, There's no new wedding. Well, Eve's alive, so maybe she'll plan a wedding. There is no wedding. There is no wedding. Every time you suggest it for season three, you make no sense. And Suzanne could do what she wants, but I would reject that. I would because if they don't come to an understanding, then there's no point. Villanelle's married because she's in denial about what she's going through. To just marry Eve would accomplish what? And Eve would probably say no in well, her yes, situation. That, right. So then why? So why suggest something so absurd and cray cray? They got to get to step A before they can jump to. Z. Literally, that's the last step. Right. Z is marriage, so I don't know. All right, well, the chapel was the end of that correction. Was that the last correction you had? Yeah, I think I just had three. And did this, I have a fourth, but it's technically not a correction yet until they reveal something, but it's something well, that... Well, then hold on to it if right. it's not a correction. Right. This last correction I have is more of a broad correction to an article I saw that was published this week in Jezebel about Killing Eve, and it was entitled, Killing Eve's Villanelle Finally Gets the Equal She Deserves. And it's more so about correcting the article writer because it's just wrong. Really quickly, it says, the two rivals at the heart of Killing Eve, Villanelle and Eve, have been dancing around each other since season one, each thinking they can outwit the other. Eve thinks she's smart enough to break through to Villanelle's human side, and Villanelle thinks she's a good enough manipulator to seduce Eve into abandoning her moral code. So already there, the article is starting off at a bad tilt because it doesn't seem they get the two characters. And then it continues, For two seasons, they've been locked in a battle of wits where Villanelle constantly has the upper hand, and as hard as Eve and the team at MI6 have tried, Villanelle remained physically and intellectually unmatched. As entertaining as it's been to watch Eve inch closer to Villanelle's dead heart, only to be shot in the chest, she deserves better than agents chasing their tails and a handler who can't actually handle her. But a new character in season three, Dasha, played by Harriet Walker, is finally saving Villanelle from boredom. Dasha is a genuine challenge to her on all fronts, and for the first time since Killing Eve began, Villanelle has a counterpart and not just a plaything. I... I object. <laughs> There's a lot to object in the article. That's why it's my correction, because the whole article is a, is, needs to be corrected. And it continues that Dasha is introduced this season in a flashback to Russia in the 1970s, where she's running through a gymnastic routine on the uneven bars in a dilapidated gym. Like Villanelle, Dasha's gymnastics persona is merely a character to get closer to her target. What? Without breaking cover, Dasha... <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry. So I just wanted to no, let me finish because you don't understand why the whole article needs to be corrected. I didn't catch this the first time, but because I recently saw a BTS video that actually confounded and confuzzled me for different reasons, I know that this statement by this journalist who got paid, presumably, to write for Jezebel is so off tilt. Off key? I can't believe they wrote it. The sentence was, Like Villanelle, Dasha's gymnastics persona is merely a character to get closer to her target, presumably that man. And it continues, Without breaking cover, Dasha lures a fellow gymnast into the locker room, murders him, pours a pound of chalk over the dead body, and sashays out of the room straight into a bright, murder-filled future. Dasha, by her own admission, isn't just a killer. She's an artist. Even in her retired years, she works and strives for greatness. Dasha is a decorated gymnast of the Soviet Union era, a past she clings to as she trains other young gymnasts and talks to Villanelle about her hopes of being sent back home to Russia. She's also a seasoned assassin who brags about how her kills are untouchable, quote unquote, and still studied today by young killers in training. She challenges Villanelle in big ways and small, intellectually, physically, and first and foremost, fashionably. Uh, well, that's a lot of... 
There's a lot of correcting, but let me get, <laughs> let me finish it. It's final paragraph. And it ends saying, at a lavish wedding reception in the season three premiere, Villanova walks in rocking a black-on-black fitted tuxedo with a sheer blouse that's quickly upstaged by Dasha's silver sequined suit topped with a crown braid. It's not every day that a woman over age 14 can pull off blunt bangs and crown braids. Oh, I didn't know that. But Dasha wears them as if she invented the look. While Eve had her own designer fashion moments from the form-fitting black gown in season one. What? Wait a minute. That's right? why, why, did... like, why are you... She doesn't bring clothing to life in the way that Villanelle and Dasha can. What is the shape? But this is... That's why I scanned the first time because I, I was already getting mad and I knew I was going to correct it. But that... What? This line? She doesn't bring clothing to life in the way that Villanelle and Dasha can. But you literally just say the form-fitting black gown and that is Sandra O's only fashion moment is Eve. And as a little side trivia note, I know for a fact that there was a stylish pair of pants that Villanelle wears in the show that Sandra O owns herself because she saw it. She revealed it in an article. She saw that pants. She was like, I own those. I own those goddamn pants. And here they got me in my parka <laughs> and my, my khakis. So of the two actresses, at least we know that Sandra O definitely has some of those stylish bottom pieces and suit pieces Villanelle be rocking, but she doesn't get to wear those. So this, just the idea that Eve can't bring things to life is ridiculous. She brought the dress to life. What she doesn't get is like shopping and Villanelle's not been sending her gifts, so she doesn't have anything to try on. All right, it's not done. Where Dasha poses the biggest threat as Villanelle's nemesis is through pure psychology. Previous seasons show that Eve lacked that special degree of ruthlessness needed to keep up with Villanelle. Hmm. While Eve's morals have prevented her from pulling the trigger, Dasha is a proud, unapologetic killer, the type of assassin who relishes the process and subtly reminds Villanelle of her superiority every chance she gets. What? This is a lot of fan fiction. In the premiere, Dasha mentions casually to a group of girls she's coaching that she molded Villanelle from useless to great. It's a throwaway insult, but in taking credit for making Villanelle who she is, Dasha reinforces her apparent desire. She wants her former student to return to the art of murder and fulfill her destiny. The fuck is going on in this article? In the same episode, Villanelle and Dasha are negotiating the terms for Villanelle's return and submission to the Twelve. Instead of shaking hands on the agreed terms, which involve a major promotion for Villanelle, the two begin to choke each other and twist a game of chicken. Okay, but Villanelle's prompt for the choke is being referred to as Oksana, which right. she doesn't like, but whatever. Dasha wins the war and gets Villanelle to agree to go back to work. Dasha understands how power works, whereas Villanelle and Eve both struggle to see the long game in front of them. <laughs> the O's? The O's? The murder O together? Okay. And finally, instead of trying to change Villanelle or reason with her, Dasha meets Villanelle at her level. <laughs> what? Uh, something Eve was never able to manage. Okay. As much as I hate to admit it, Eve is weak. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Villanelle preys on that weakness without breaking a sweat. Oh, she breaks a sweat. Uh, yeah, she breaks she several sweats. In a single episode, Dasha's proven her ability to bend Villanelle to her will. <laughs> this is fan fiction. Oh my gosh. To bend Villanelle to her will. Oh, I lost my place because I keep laughing. And put a dent in her narcissistic exterior. <laughs> what? When Dasha sends her protege out on her first job in months, Villanelle copies Dasha's original kill from the 70s. Dasha is Villanelle's blueprint and it's eating Villanelle up that she can't outdo her. Where the fuck is this fan fiction coming from? Where the fuck, Jezebel? Why, why is everyone putting this about, kill on, on the pedestal? With Dasha pulling Villanelle's strings and goading her to kill, the two could make a formidable team in the long run, but there is no way Villanelle will settle for being second best. And that is The End written by Shannon Malero at Jezebel. For anyone who wants to look it up, she describes herself as a spurned blogger out for vengeance. Vengeance oh, with oh, this okay. article because, girl, what nothing right. What nothing right or accurate in this article. 
So where doth I begin? If you were listening to what I just read, y'all, you heard that the entire thing was basically invented fan fiction. Maybe this person has a really special place in their heart for Harriet Walters, and that's fantastic. I know she's on some show right now, Billions, or maybe something on HBO, whatever it is. Maybe Succession. I don't know. I'm not watching it. I just know people think it's a good show, and she's on there, and they're enjoying her. I'm not watching any shows with Harriet right now, so I don't have any pre-built-in bias to whatever she's doing. And it seems like this article writer really just wishes Harriet could take them out on a date and that's okay that's fine who wouldn't want to date a dame but the rest of this article is completely uncalled for and out of sorts it starts out with fan fiction I'm mad that they talk about Villanelle being what never being able to settle for second best or whatever that is who's knocking on Dasha's door going Dasha I, um, I know that you're you're excommunicated but you know you're you're we need you and we, we miss you and then you know you're you you're great and and we just we just need you to come back no one's begging for dasha to return to russia but we also don't know we have no idea and dasha as far as i'm concerned could be entirely manipulating villanelle because everyone always is she never deals with someone with a 12 and whatever they tell her is straight up the story so even though dasha's right now like listen villanelle i just need you to do this because i'm trying to get home and they said if i can get you in line i can go home i don't believe her i believe there's other stuff happening like maybe that's part of it but i don't i don't believe her entirely i think there's a second game she's playing because there's no way you can convince me that the 12 would give villanelle a keeper position put themselves at risk easily with her knowing their names knowing how she is and she just be taking people out and paying her more money when she costs them so much money and that's not to say well that's a separate issue of what this season's writing has done to the 12 i'll just simply say if they go with the idea that dasha trained villanelle and it's really hard for the 12 to find someone else like villanelle i actually have a problem with that because what i like about villanelle is her attitude and her particular non-neurotypical way of, of being and existing because it's very misandrist. However, we're talking about sycophants. We're talking about sadists. We're talking about people who have bendable ethics. And those there are a lot of humans like that on the planet. People are mercenaries, literally. They do all kinds of stuff. And so I think it's entirely unrealistic for Dasha to suggest that it's really hard for her to find another killer. You could argue that finding someone with the flair of Villanelle, is this person multilingual? How multilingual are they? How many languages do they speak? Are they svelte and sexy? Can they fit into a suitcase? Or do they stand out like Raymond? Raymond cannot blend in a way that Villanelle can blend. I understand that shit and why people like honey trap spies. But realistically, if you're gonna tell me that an organization like the 12, that is supposed to be intimidating to me as it was in the first two seasons, cannot find people who test on the spectrum, that something's wrong with the whole organization because that doesn't make sense. Right. That's supposed to be what you do. It's There's literally uh, dozens of film tropes, whether you go you know, from a TV show like La Femme Nikita in the 90s or you move all the way up to Black Widow with Natasha. And this concept of women, girls who are recruited to be honeypots that are really, really dangerous because no one sees you coming and we test, we test and prepare you for this. So the 12, the 12 has all these resources, but they can't find a single fucking sycophant. I don't believe it. This is why people end up in juvie. Villanelle was in jail. That is the appropriate place to find someone who is not listening to what society is saying and potentially you can use that and exploit that. So right. how the 12 is having issues when the world is constantly producing people with issues and people who can murder and hurt people and say Villanelle. So I hope Villanelle knows she's being gaslit by Harriet because I don't believe Harriet. Like you can say Villanelle, you are really special because you are good at getting in and out. You are smarter than the average bear and that shit will make sense. But you can't say Villanelle, it's hard to find a killer girl. No way. 
People out there killing, getting bodies. So it's hard. It's hard to find someone to take some bodies for some money. I don't believe that for a second. But that's just a side thing that I've thought about and marinated on that I don't like about. And I always knew it was a possibility with the 12. You tell us more, you make them less cool. And right now, what I feel like Dasha was supposed to make the 12 more cool. But right now she's making it less cool to me. And I just want her to make it more cool, which is why this article is so cray cray. Because it's like, they... I'm like, who is this Dasha? Who are we looking at? Am I looking at Charlize from Atomic Blonde? Because the way you're talking about Dasha, it sounds like you should be talking about Charlize, but you're not. You're talking about Dasha. What if this is a misdirect? I mean, but this that's more of amusing and I don't wear corrections, so I'm not going to do but that. But how would it be a misdirect when Meaning, it's just an opinion article? No, no, no. The article is doing their best to gauge what they think Dasha is based on the episode that they got to see. Maybe they saw more episodes and this is a culmination of all the previews that they got to see in this article and they just spit it out and we can only speak on episode one but what if dasha as we see her and understand her is not dasha yes she may have something to hide but what if there's something to hide is that she's not good with the 12 right now what if she was riding on the success of she being the one to get the credit for everything that villanelle did right and then when Villanelle started fucking up and i was like well let's produce the next one because this is what you do right you produce killers that are great and then she can't and it's like, I mean, that feels like a long game for Dasha. And frankly, I don't know if I if I want to know all that because that'll take time from other things I do want to know. I do think Dasha is playing a longer game for whatever her goals are with the 12. But I don't want a bunch of exposition where she's concerned because there's already enough that's going to be happening with Carolyn and Constantine to take away from Eve and Villanelle. So I don't really care per se, but it's, that's it's valid. No, your thought, your thought pattern now is valid. But again, there are a lot of a lot of names that are in this. this no, series, there are a lot so. of names, but that still doesn't take away from the, the fan fiction of this article, which was my main issue, which is number one, saying that Eve or that rather Villanelle's had no rival when the whole thing about Eve is that she has had a rival. Villanelle literally got stabbed in her bed. If she was fully matched and prepared for Eve, she would not have gotten stabbed in her own bed. So number one, you can't say Eve not a match. She's a match. She's a match. Episode one, or rather season finale of season one, she's a match. Season finale of season two, she is matched with violence she by is. Villanelle. And she stands toe to toe up against her. And so it's not like Villanelle gets her to back down. I feel like the way the person has analyzed the entire relationship on the show is just like from some other wild perspective that I don't even understand. Especially because she thinks that Eve is not intellectually matched with Villanelle. And I'm like, but that's part of their game. That's part of the intrigue is that other people missed stuff that Villanelle would do that Eve caught. She was the only one to catch it. So I would say they are intellectually matched. The other thing to correct here. And the <laughs> this sentence, as entertaining as it's been to watch Eve inch closer to Villanelle's dead heart, only to be shot. It's like, okay, didn't we establish in season two that Villanelle's heart isn't dead? Like, right. it's mostly dead, but it has a piece of life, a little piece of blood that, that pumps through there. And it's Eve Palastri's inspiration that causes it. So that to me is ridiculous. And asserting that Dasha is saving Villanelle from boredom. That Dasha is the genuine challenge to her on all fronts. That Villanelle finally has a counterpart and not a plaything. And it's like, whoa, you just see Villanelle's using Eve as her plaything? Were we, were we not watching season two? Were we not watching it no. together? Because Eve was being pretty fucking bossy. Pretty bossy and pretty rude to Villanelle a lot of the times. I just don't know shoes. how <laughs> you came to these conclusions. 
And then, where was that last line? Oh, the boyfriend. The, the, so that's what I discovered in the BTS, which I will talk about later. But they basically revealed that, which I guess this I'll add this correction in because I assumed that it was just a creepy guy. But according to Killing Eve, BTS, it is her boyfriend that is watching her and that she kisses and then kills to get her frustration out. Which I was like, guys, that didn't come across. It did not come across that he was her boyfriend. You maybe should have threw a line in there or something. Cut the scene. And so the fact that this person is like, like Villanelle, Dasha's gymnastics persona is merely a character to get closer to her target. What? So this person made the entire leap to say she isn't really a gymnast, even though in present day she's teaching children gymnast stuff. Um, it's, a, it's a ploy to get close to her target, which was the man who's ultimately her boyfriend to kill she to lure her target and then it says without breaking cover she lures him to the locker room she He's didn't lure him he followed her right. he stalked her he was like hey babe oh i mean he say babe but now that i know they're supposed to be dating i guess i'll say babe well his two little flowers or whatever he had in his hand i can't and they're like even in her retired years she works and strives for greatness i'm just like yo when do they where did they get all that i just there wasn't enough exposition in episode one for this writer to be like dasha a fucking legend and she's been working for gears you guys don't even understand got me all the way messed up i mean if you're gonna call her boyfriend her target i mean i've seen other spy organizations do a thing where it's like oh you're entry level here's like your pet or whatever it is and then by the end of your training your final test is to kill this pet that was your partner the whole time and that's how we know that you've cut off your connections or oh, yeah. you kill your parents or like whatever it is so it's like that's how you show your allegiance to whatever organization you're going under so even oh, that yeah. didn't come across so you in can't... this line villanelle walks in rocking a black on black fitted tuxedo with a sheer blouse that's quickly upstaged by dasha's silver seeking suit i said hold up hold up hold Hold up, hold up, hold up, baby, hold up. Are you telling me Villanelle in the suit was upstaged by Dasha in her sequence? I don't. That's not how fashion works. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's false. That is not true. That is a lie. I feel like putting in that meme from fucking, what's that guy from Star Trek? That used to do the show Factor Fiction. You know what I'm talking about? I was about to, no, no. I'm thinking of a totally different meme now. It's going to come back to me. I want to say Jonathan Frakes. Yes. He did a show on I would say sci-fi channels called Beyond also, Belief Factor Fiction and he would be like that's a lie that's a lie that is fiction we, we made that you. one up right so it's a meme I sent it to you once that yes. he just repeats it like 47 times where Dasha poses the biggest threat as Villanelle's nemesis is through pure psychology okay that is partially true because I would say manipulation is the biggest threat to Villanelle but the following sentence that says previous seasons show that Eve lacked the special degree of ruthlessness I'm just like but she's she literally stabbed her. She stabbed right. her. Like that happens in the series. That's not ruthless. That's pretty fucking ruthless. She said no to Alaska. I feel like that was ruthless. She said no. She denied her own feelings to Villanelle. To her face. Talk about someone going home. Ridiculous. <laughs> so while I would agree that Dasha is evidently the Villanelle blueprint that is existing and i understand suzanne's desire from articles she said about bringing in a woman to woman dynamic which i'm never going to be upset about again as it's developing hopefully i will start to feel differently i'm just I, unfortunately unfortunately i'm not impressed by dasha and that could be because candace has seen nearly everything there exists with woman killers and so i have a, a spectrum a scale of what makes a good woman killer villanelle is high up there right now dasha she in the middle to the bottom to be perfectly honest so i just i don't read I don't read powerful 
from Dasha. Or at least to me, it hasn't come across in that way. Yes, she was able to get a hit off and like she got a punch in. Like I get that. Like I saw that. Like she had a little scar and, you know, Vilna had the bloody nose. But I don't I don't get like, I mean, I don't want to say she's she's reading like a grunt or an ex grunt, but she's not reading as someone with a, a higher position of really anything. I mean, I'm sure you couldn't tell me that her dream was to be instructing these young girls to be great gymnasts. That that wasn't her. This is not she's not living her dream. So wherever she is, she's she's not reading as happy, not as content, not as not as anything. So how do you so I could see why she is someone who could be trying to game or who would need to game Villanelle into returning to the 12 because she's definitely not in a place where she that she wants to be like she doesn't i don't i don't we see. Don't really know we don't know enough about dasha we only know what she said and we know we can't trust people from the 12. maybe she's telling the truth maybe she's telling a lie we have no idea what her real motivations are i won't say that she doesn't appear strong because she she does appear strong she appears strong-willed she appears to be a misandra so that's not what i mean when i say i'm not impressed by dasha i am literally talking about her intimidation factor as a murderer as a killer as what they've brought her in for the template of villanelle as villanelle has been written and portrayed she is convincingly dangerous and scary dasha has yet to display that for me in a way that has me authentically believe that she is responsible for villanelle that is not necessarily down to the actress i think it's more so down to how they've chosen to write dasha and in one of my musings i'll go on about that but yeah that's that's really what it's about it's about the fact that killing and being a killer and assassin is not a new concept many people have done it many people have explored it and so for someone to be regarded realistically as dangerous there has to be something to make it make sense and the exposition that's been included is not enough for me to fully believe that she was some amazing killer that everyone copied her first kill. Because again, the major problem for me being is that first kill was not cool enough. But I will get more into that later. But yeah, basically that's the that's the other article. I'm not even gonna link it. Y'all can Google it with the title I told you about. If you want to, if you want to send the article writer hate mail or <laughs> questions, you can do that because it literally makes no sense. It's completely condescends Eve, but also Villanelle and Dasha because she this this writer doesn't seem to understand any of the characters, so she does them all a disservice by writing about them because holy shit. Anyway, that was my final correction, a typical correction, but I saw it literally a day ago and I was like, oh hell no, the whole of it is wrong. The whole of it is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and someone got paid to write this in quarantine right. times. I can't believe it. <sighs> well, oddly enough, that strange article is a excellent segue to make our way over to Revelations. Killing Eve, Revelations. <laughs> Yo, did that really just fucking happen? <laughs> I'm dead. So what I saw from, uh, what is this, bbcamerica.com was an interesting article I found charming uh, that basically centered on uh, Sandra O. Oh, and it's basically, the, it's, it's titled, 10 Times We Loved Watching Sandra O oh Before Killing Eve. And they're essentially just spouting off uh, uh, pieces of work where she's, you know, been lauded for her, you know, thespian talents. And it starts, of course, as you would... Uh, possibly guess depending um how long uh Sandra O's work has been in your your lexicon they start with Grey's Anatomy uh makes sense they then uh journey into uh sideways which actually now I'm gonna have to pull because I'm sure I've seen this old school independent film got a lot of fanfare right I feel like I probably still got that on DVD somewhere 
after sideways, they go to rabbit hole. Let's see. She's Gabby. Wait a minute. Oh, this is alongside Nicole Kidman. Why don't I know this? By the way, I'm pretty sure Sideways won an Oscar for Best uh, Screenplay, Adaptive Screenplay. I feel oh, like nice. I'm remembering that, but it was a very well-written script. And Paul Giamatti was in there, if I'm not remembering incorrectly, and like Virginia Madsen. Those are the only faces I can see immediately. That isn't Sandra O. Oh. But yeah, if you're not familiar with it, definitely check that shit out. All right. And this article calls uh, this 94 uh, movie Double Happiness, her breakout film. I know and she is. looks amazing in the still that they have right over the description of this uh, movie. Oh, I have. Look, I will be watching more than half of these over the weekend. I already know this to be true. Um, after that, I see what is this last night uh, where she stars alongside David Cronenberg. Um, it's an apocalypse movie. Uh, let's see. Oh, on her second genie award for performance in this Canadian black comedy movie. So it it's very black comedy. She's in heartbreaking form of Sandra, a woman desperately trying to make it across town so she can see her husband Duncan before the pending apocalypse destroys everything. He may be the star and the director. What know. was the name of this film again? Last night. Last night. Right. I my film facts <laughs> well i mean they're it's, blending it i know it's time and night oh they put cat fight here i was so happy when that popped up randomly cat out of fight nowhere should definitely be there that was an amazing watch i don't know if it's still on like a streaming service but find it if you have not um it was delicious 2017 is when it came out and it took 2019 for me to find it but you guys if you have access to it watch it it's a lot of familiar faces. It's a riot. I love it. Uh, after Catfight is Arliss. All right. So this is nice. So um, late 90s, HBO. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, HBO sitcom with Tran for seven seasons in the late 90s, early aughts. She plays Rita Wu, whip smart personal assistant to Robert Wool's sports agent, Arliss Michaels. A part which gives her lots of opportunities to show off her gift for physical comedy. Uh, after Arliss, they, oh, they have Meditation Park that recently was on, I want to say, a streaming service. Um, the lens of, of Meditation Park would be more so focused on the uh, character who plays her mother, Maria, which is um, Cheng Pei Pei, uh, where she's establishing independence from her philanderous husband mm. because, you know... Men are going to men in almost every uh, demographic. But, you know, it was beautifully shot. So I would recommend that as a cute watch. Um, and afterwards, they have Hard Candy with Ellen Page. Now that's an old pull. Misandra's film where a dick gets chopped at the end. Spoiler. Spoiler. She chops that dick. <laughs> Sorry for and, no one who's seen and, a Hard Candy. And if you've seen it, you know exactly what I chopped about. That is what it is. All right. Well, that's a rent. <laughs> I'm renting that right away. And they round off the list with her uh, appearance as the fairy cookie person on Sesame Street. Um, I have not seen her on Sesame Street, but this looks I have. so cute. It's probably somewhere on YouTube. All right. So I'm going to move on to the next musing, which is an article in The Hollywood Reporter. That came out this week entitled Killing Eve Team Breaks Down Deadly Season 3 Premiere. Quote, no one is safe. 
And The Hollywood Reporter spoke with star Sandra Oh, executive producer Sally Woodard Gentle, and new head writer Suzanne Heathcote about the tragic death set to fuel the BBC America thriller's future. And so, not to make light of a grim situation, but it's an obvious line to bellow at the Killing Eve creative team at the moment because they killed Kenny. I guess they're making a reference here to South Park. Uh, Sean Delaney's kind-hearted computer hacker who has been a key member of the BBC America drama since its first season. New head writer Suzanne Heathcote's decision to kill off a beloved main character who plunged to his death from a rooftop at the very end of the season three premiere right away speaks volumes about what's in store for Eve Pilastri and Villanelle in the weeks ahead. No one is safe, Heathcote tells The Hollywood Reporter, is the reality of our show. The season three premiere picks up sometime after season two with Eve fully recovered from being shot in the back and left for dead in Rome, physically recovered at least, as she's at least still alive. Working at a restaurant in New Malden, England, Eve pours herself into her new job in the kitchen, trying to move on from the world of espionage. But she's pulled back in by her old friend and colleague Kenny, the son of Eve's former boss, Carolyn Martins, played by Fiona Shaw. No longer working for his super spy mother, Kenny has a new job at a newspaper called Bitter Pill, where he's once again investigating the 12, the shadow organization that employs the deadly Villanelle. Estranged from each other due to the events of season two, Eve finally accepts Kenny's olive branch and agrees to spend some time with him. But when she shows up at the office, she arrives just in time to watch Kenny's body plummet from the roof. Oh, Lord. A tragic act of violence destined to bring Palastri back into the world she so desperately tried to escape. Quote, Kenny's death is such a large motivator for her and going back into the hunt. O tells THR about the lethal twist and how it will impact Eve moving forward. You see her orienting herself towards MI6 and towards Carolyn and what she represents and towards Villanelle and even towards this new group at Bitter Pill. You see her orienting herself in a much more independent way. She is the one in charge of the boat. She's not struggling with that as much as we have seen in the past. In the second season, you really saw Eve overcompensating and trying to be in control. And you see what that got her. She was betrayed. She's continuing to become her own woman by being the owner of her decisions. I've really always tried to grow her in this way in that this is a story of a woman who gains agency over herself and that she really wakes up to it. End quote. Eve's season three growth sadly comes at the expense of Kenny's death and actor Delaney departing the series. A quote, really, really hard call, as executive producer Sally Woodard Gentle tells it. He's such a brilliant character, she tells THR. He was the only one who held Eve to account. It sort of made sense in a way that person would have to go in season three. We adore Kenny. We adore Sean. I think it's because he has such life in him. It's because he is such a good human being. It's because he does see so much through everyone that there becomes a sad inevitability that he has to go. And it does drive the story. Kenny's death drives the story forward on a number of fronts, including Eve's return to the center of the mystery. There's also how this death impacts his mother, Carolyn, who very intentionally hides her emotions at all times. At one point in the series, she calmly chastised Eve, telling her she couldn't exert too much rage at the risk of becoming sleepy. <laughs> I remember that line. <laughs> With her son murdered at the hands of the Twelve, or at least very presumably due to his return to that investigation, Carolyn won't be able to help but wear her emotions on her sleeve. Quote, Fiona and I talked at great lengths about it, the impact that Kenny's death would have on her, says Heathcote. Carolyn is someone who would hate anyone to feel sorry for her or think she wasn't coping. There's still this business as usual she feels she needs to maintain. It fuels her investigation into what could have done this, and it's a way of her feeling like she has some control over what happens. But the reality is you're not in control. You're in grief. The conflict of that within her is what's going to fuel her emotionally this season. I was very excited to write that storyline for Fiona because I knew she was so brilliant, and this would enable her to play a lot of different nuances and colors. And yet she can still keep it Carolyn. That's the challenge, maintaining that. End quote. Mm -hmm. The other way in which Kenny's death maps a clear path forward 
in season three. It brings Killing Eve back into the world of the Twelve in a very significant way after spending most of the second season exploring the relationship between Eve and Villanelle working in otherwise. There are a lot of unanswered questions, Woodard says about the Twelve's return to the core of the story. Ultimately, they're the ones who are responsible for the creation of Villanelle. They are a powerful force that's exerted really destructive influence over people's lives. Would Eve had gone back into that anyway if Kenny hadn't died? It's a massive driver for Carolyn too. We may reveal in future seasons how involved or not she is in the Twelve and what their genesis is. But would she really have stepped back into that if it hadn't been for Kenny? She may have been pushed in a different direction by her job. Of course, given her place in the story and her name in the title, even her reaction to Kenny's death, how it will fuel her moving forward and the choices it will force her to make will be front and center in the story. We really felt that after everything that had happened to Eve, all the damage that had been done to her life, we felt it had to be something enormously personal in order to bring her back in, says Heathcote. There was never going to be a professional reason good enough to do that. It would have to have been something like a bomb going off emotionally. That came in the form of Kenny. It's because he's so beloved and because he's such a great character that it has such an impact. Indeed, mm. Kenny is so beloved as a character and Delaney as an actor within the Killing Eve family that not even death will necessarily keep him away from the story, as Woodard Gentle teases. He's such a great actor and such an amazing member of the team. You may spot him again in later episodes. So that's what I was saying before. It's a confirmed flashback, potentially, okay. or flash sideways. Who really knows? So that ghost, seems to indicate we're not going, we've not seen the last of Kenny. And there is a set photo where I'm pretty sure the shirt is white. I'd have to find it. But I'm pretty sure it's from season three. And I haven't seen anything in the trailer to indicate Kenny in that shirt. But I know he shot that because they put it out around the time. I feel like they were trying to get Sean Delaney to kill the death rumors mm. a little bit. But I did see that. I didn't know where it was from per se. But maybe this is from some flashback that will be relevant to Carolyn. And how she deals with Kenny's death. But yeah, you guys, that was in The Hollywood Reporter. And that is just words and things from the creator and executive producer about, well, the bombshell of Kenny's death and what we can expect. So kind of when I said in the intro that they were like, we had to kill Kenny. He was the only option (laughs) to move the story (laughs) forward. Sucks, but that's where we are. And yeah. Can I ask you, do you have concerns of... Yes, the plot is now being moved by this action of Kenny being the, you know, MacGuffin, the plot device. But what if he's or who killed Kenny is what drives the series all the way until episode eight? That's essentially what's kind of happening in a sense. Like that's what happened with Bill. They're sort of repeating it in that sense where they're like, here's the overarching driver. Eve is curious about this, but she's not maybe as fixated in a certain way until Bill is murdered. And she now, she doesn't want to just find Villanelle for her sapphic curiosity. She wants to find her to like murder her with her bare hands, which she kind of almost does. Almost, right. And so, yeah, I don't, um, what was your question again? Um, that, oh, well, you're framing it ultimately as an overarching a subplot for Eve. Um, but well, I'm the motivating ask, plot right. to like her emotional motivator right. until she gets more inveigled with Villanelle. We're not amusing, so I'm just not right. going no, no, to, but right. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can see how that question could lead more into musing. Yeah. My ultimately, I guess my concern would have been what if the series was framed to have everyone wondering who killed Kenny up until episode eight? I doubt that. I think we will have an indication of who killed Kenny before episode eight. Well, how it's going to play out and who was going to die a result, that's something else. But I, I don't think they'll stretch it out to eight. There's too many things they might potentially have to reveal in episode eight to then also give Kenny's murder. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. 
I mean, okay. I could be wrong, clown makeup contour, but right now that's not my thinking of of what they would do. Well, I then I'll, you know, I'll put my faith in how you're thinking because that's sort of what I don't want to happen. This is revelations. And the revelation is Sally saying no one is safe. And again, I don't know who else wouldn't be safe that I super care about that isn't Eva Villanelle. Oh, Carolyn. Well, <laughs> I feel like Carolyn is safe still, but they, I hope that isn't, they're not trying to tell me that we could lose Carolyn. But she also said stuff like maybe in future seasons we'll reveal Carolyn is more involved in the 12. So I feel like you kind of just told me, Sally, that Carolyn doesn't die. I feel like you just kind of told me Carolyn does not die in season three. So yay, gay for me. Season four, we'll have Carolyn Martins, <laughs> despite what they said. Uh, so that was the end of my revelation there. Oh, uh, and I guess what I can step into would be if those of you were around and of the Reddit community or created a brand new Reddit oh, account. you're doing the Kenny rundown? Uh, yes. Oh, okay, okay. Or if you created a new uh, Reddit account just to be a part of the Ask Me Anything that took place, which if you've never heard of, Ask Me Anything, it's sort of like what Talking Dead was for The Walking Dead, where they would just have people up. Usually it's the people who have just exited the show because they got eaten alive or are dead. And then they get to talk about their time on set and, you know, things they liked, things they didn't like. And I guess what's it, uh, what they're allowed to talk about as far as immediate, like, future, like, projects and things of that nature. Uh, usually they do that with a Q&A and they take uh, questions from, like, the audience. This was done over Reddit. So they opened the... Um, like question portion to the public where everyone threw their questions in. And I feel like this is you giving a rundown to my mom because my mom would need a rundown on how Reddit works. But uh, (laughs) I don't know that our listeners do. They're probably right now like, is he, is he for real explaining a Reddit AMA? I mean, some people don't, some people don't know. No, Some people don't. I just feel like it's the boomers and after, but (laughs) That's me. If there is a 25-year-old right now that's like, Candace, you're wrong. You're wrong. I don't know what Reddit is. I apologize. And I'm sorry for the the super lengthy rundown. But, you know, everyone threw their questions in. Someone really cheeky and cute. Like, is Kenny Constantine's son? Ignore if true. (laughs) And, of course, you know, he can't answer that. So it's an an ignore, but it doesn't mean mean that it's true. true. Uh, But I'm just going to read off a few of my favorite uh responses and questions um the first it would be what's your favorite character traits of kenny uh, his response is i really enjoyed how much he has to focus on what emotionally is going on and how literal he takes everything it sounds really counterintuitive but i really enjoy his uncomfortableness in any kind of social scene outside of the workplace mm. there's something brilliant about someone who thrives so well in high stakes situations with really technical difficult information and hacking but who can't really function in a one-on-one situation with someone of the opposite sex that's how it'd be like okay right and like sometimes you could just be really that's when you're um you know how some people would have like mixed skills like if they're a jack of all but sometimes you're the master of one trade you're the master of these but that's kind of the thing if you were if you spend enough time inside and as someone who would consider myself you know a bit of a, a nerd and a geek in that in that respect because one thing i started very early and continued until i was late was taking things apart if you are that type of computer person who enjoys that you have spent a considerable amount of time doing that alone 
which did not give you time to potentially build up your social skills and understand the social cues. And of course, there's also ideas and, and thoughts of Kenny being on the spectrum, same as Carolyn. And so, right. you know, there's that. There's also that. Another uh, response I liked was, was to the question, what is your favorite episode of the entire series and why? Uh, his response was, in a really brave way, we always try to evolve past what we've done before. Obviously, you can take the success of a show and just do the same thing, but that gets boring. I find it very difficult to pick a favorite from season one and two because they feel like two different beasts. I think the final episode of season one was a really good indication as to the payoff of the cat and mouse game. I think the Sandra and Jody scene in the apartment in Paris is one of my favorite scenes in TV, regardless Excellent of be taste, me being Sean. killed. Excellent toast. I also toast, think taste. my favorite Phoebe Waller-Bridge scenes are the finale of season two of Fleabag and the final episode of season one of Killing Eve. As a fan, the season one finale. As an actor, it's the first episode of this series because of what I had to do. So, yes. Cool. All over the map, but well, well-crafted answers. Thanks. Delaney. And uh, let's see, where's... Oh, this was good for just the American side because I was happy he answered this. Uh, someone said, uh, hi, Sean. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for doing an AMA. I have a couple of questions. One, what other flavor of cheese puffs was Kenny referring to? And two, if Kenny was recruited by the 12, what would be his preferred method of assassination? <clears throat> so his response was, I know the potato chip industry in America is so diverse and broad. And it's a lot better than over in the UK. The UK has an awful habit of trying out really unnecessary flavors. Mm -hmm. I think that may have been a bit of a UK-based joke. Uh, in Kenny's defense, I think at that point they hadn't slept in a couple of days. He had just been sacked. I think uh, the offer of cheese puffs caught him off guard. What I will say it was is, pretty fucking random. What it I will say is random. that he he probably really wanted one, despite saying no. Uh, as an artistic and creative as Villanelle's kills are, I think the further away Kenny is, the better. <laughs> so I reckon <laughs> if I'm being really advice. creative, I'd say one of those poison dart arrows in the neck that takes a while. So when a person passes away, he's long out of there. I'm stuck for options. I don't think uh, Kenny's ever had to think about it. And there are a lot more of these uh, Q&As that happened. I just wanted to read some of my favorite ones. Mm. If I had to pick one to wrap it up, and I wanted to be like the dopest thing, let's do something no, dope and something right, sentimental. Something, right, right. Oh, that's that's dark. But uh, I guess I could do this one. Whew. All right. So the no, let's do a better one. That one's crazy because um, I was about um, doing the makeup for uh, the body. Oh, right. So that that his answer for his dead self, right? Horrible. <laughs> Just okay. horrible. So I'll read this as the wrap up, and it says, "I'm going. I am gonna miss Kenny, and I loved the camaraderie between you and Sandra O's Eve. Mm. What were your favorite scenes together?" <clears throat> his response: First of all, I'll miss Kenny too for sure. For this, for nostalgic purposes, my first scene with Sandra in series one, which was the Lou role in series one, and then my last scene with Sandra in her apartment. These are my favorites just because of the experience of having a first day on set and then coming back to it three years later Love. with a long emotional scene. It puts in perspective how far we've come as actors and characters. Our Aww. scenes in Russia and all the office scenes were great, but to be romantic about it, 
we could feel the weight of experience that we've all been on together in the first and last scenes together. Yeah, because it's like uh, it's coming full circle a little bit. I'm sure it was very sentimental. Oh. So thank you, Sean Delaney, for Thanks taking for time that out AMA. of your right. That was awesome. All right, let us uh, let me look at my other revelation here. Oh, I mean, this is a revelation to me, and it has definitely affected my musings in a sense. But one of the revelations in between last time we recorded and now is that Constantine attends Kenny's funeral. And I'm still not sure about the succession of events and what exactly happens when, but I find it incredibly intriguing that Constantine is at the funeral memorial, whatever's happening for Kenny, especially with my current belief that he is... That he has something to do with it. And that, I guess, is a minor correction that bleeds into amusing. But I know I was saying last episode recap that I believe Constantine to be responsible for Kenny's death. And so I'm amending that to say that I believe he is either directly responsible, as in killing Kenny, or a direct catalyst to it where he arranged it or potentially served in the same way he does for Villanelle, getting, giving someone information. But he definitely knows about it and has a sliding scale of involvement. And so the fact that he was already in London for this, I'm really intrigued and excited to see what his exchange with Carolyn is, how Fiona plays it, especially now looking back on the interview she did and different stuff where she was talking about Kim Bodnia's method of acting versus her method of acting where he's all emotion. She like deals with words and how she's going to work with that nuance. And so I imagine this is one of those scenes who knows how many scenes with Carolyn and Constantine will get, but this should prove to be a very exciting scene to give us some sort of insight into not only Carolyn's headspace and potentially does she suspect Constantine at all or does she not? How does she play that? And Constantine's headspace. What is his energy when he's here with Carolyn? We know Eve is at the funeral and she's mad at, with everybody, which makes sense. Right. She doesn't want to see Constantine. She doesn't want to see Carolyn. She probably just wants to pay her respects and yell at people. But that's wild because if he does have something to do with it, which I believe he does, the gall, the hubris. But then again, I don't know that he potentially has a choice because, well, he is with the twelve now it has a late report according to one of those translated voicemails well that's the other thing i mean it's more so amused but i guess i can say it now is that there's also things in one of the trailers that you see that he talks to geraldine and she makes a comment about oh you taught me a russian cuss word and she says it and they laugh and so i'm oscillating back from the idea that geraldine is constantine's daughter that little section of it seems to imply that she was around Constantine when she was very young, which would make sense for Carolyn's booty games, booty call <laughs> games she was playing doesn't mean that he is the baby daddy. And so I think potentially Eve threatens Carolyn and Constantine at this place and potentially that things that happen at the funeral motivate Constantine to go back to Villanelle although the minutes that were released say that the first two minutes and why is he telling Villanelle about Eve now if he's not been to the funeral so I think potentially it could be a, a bait and switch that the first two minutes aren't actually the two minutes kind of like right. what happened with the Aaron Peel episode because it just doesn't fit to me in my mind right now that Constantine would tell Villanelle about Eve prior to getting to the memorial or the funeral especially because he's currently in london and he would have to travel to spain to see villanelle and so it could be it, it could happen but just right now 
I don't think so. I think it would make more sense for the prompted interaction with Carolyn and then discovering Eve is alive and whatever's going on there would then take him and potentially feel in some sort of impetus of anger and like, oh, I'm in danger because I know I was involved with this Kenny shit. And Carolyn looks like she's ready to burn the world down for Kenny. Let me go holler at Villain out and let her know what's going on because they are definitely going after the 12. They are definitely both going to do it separately or together. And so I need to make sure I'm protected. I love that that's on the table that yes they're giving us two minutes but not necessarily the first two minutes and it's just an out of order two minutes just to let us know things are gonna go down that episode i think personally the episode will open up to kenny's funeral that potentially makes the most amount of sense if that happens and that means that they could cut to constantine and villain afterwards but again we won't know we'll know soon enough but i don't know it could be either way it could be reversed it would be weird if it's reversed but they could do it it could just be like the wedding they're like it's happening doesn't make any sense, Candace. Just take it, accept it, and let's move on. I mean, they sort of did that for Bill, right? Like, they opened up, and it was the memorial service, and, you know, quick shots of random people and random rows of pews. Yeah, but that's different. You can't do that. Because even when you were talking about Bill's death, Bill's death was still framed in relation to Eve. In that situation, we have a wide shot of Frank talking and other people, but it's really about Eve's face, how she's not dealing, and when she gets up to go. So if we're going to talk about Kenny's funeral, it's not about Kenny. It's about Carolyn. It's about Constantine. It's about Eve. It's about Geraldine showing up. So it can't just be a quick thing. It has to be a thing where there's an interaction. And in the trailer, we see Constantine touches Carolyn's shoulder. Constantine exchanges a sentence with Geraldine, who's there chilling. Constantine gets yelled at by Eve. Eve also yells at Carolyn. So that seems like at least five minutes at the thing. You can't do all that in just some quick flashes. There has to be something said and then a moment and then, okay, this is after and here's Constantine approaching and then here's Eve showing the fuck up potentially if she wasn't already there and then developing it. So I don't think it could be a quick scene, but again, I just don't know how that scene comes after the Constantine and Villanelle scene where he tells her that Eve is alive. Right. That has to come first. Right. That. Wow. I'm. I don't know if I'm ready for the memorial scene. Like, what if it's like just the viewing aspect where like, you know, I don't know if the customs are going to be the same. I don't know how they're going to, they don't talk religion much for at least Carolyn's household. So I don't know if it's going to be like a Catholic sort of. Does it matter? <laughs> I mean, does everyone do like a viewing before like. A... It's your option. That's That has nothing to do with um, faith usually has to do with the choice of the family. Okay. Is the person embalmed and do you want a viewing? That's what that is. And then the funeral is the burying of the body. Those generally do not happen on the same day. I would say it's less about whether you're Roman Catholic or Orthodox or whatever, but more so about like the family situation of whether or not they want to give people the opportunity to view the body. I doubt, especially with um, Carolyn and these Britain times, that that's something that they will do, just be extra stuff. It's probably just going to be, or they could imply that people viewed the body already yesterday and now is they're putting it to rest. Or it just kind of looks like a memorial, so it could just be one of those things where the body's not even there. It's just mm. like a photo. So we don't know. We, we literally, maybe Kenny wanted to be cremated. If he wanted to be cremated, then he is not on display. So it kind of goes down to, like, again, Kenny's choices, if he made any. He worked for MI6, so it's possible he had a will. And thought about it. So, yeah. Oh, but the last thing, too, I was going to say about Constantine, because it kind of went into the correction about whether or not he killed Kenny or, or just orchestrated it or enabled it. But what's curious about Constantine is, you know what, maybe I'll leave that for the museum because I, I have something. To, I guess it's more of a muse. Yeah. So I'm going to leave that second half for the musings because the revelation is that Constantine is at the funeral for me, which I did not know for sure if that was going to happen. 
But yes. I mean, this could have been a correction, but I don't know if it was actually a correction, which is probably why I put it in Revelations. But it really has to do with Carolyn and because I didn't say that Carolyn didn't say anything before, so I won't say it's a correction. But it has to do with Carolyn and Paul, new person on the scene who will be overseeing the desk, not running the desk. Just want to highlight to you guys, if you've not realized that Paul was actually mentioned in episode four of season two, Desperate Times, in the opening scene with Helen as Carolyn is talking to the lady boss and Helen loses her shit entirely after retrieving her Pringles from the trash and says that Paul is bending her ear and freaking out, not just over Carolyn's ridiculousness, but also his boyfriend going away, which also explains the flirty looks that Paul was giving to Carolyn's assistant in that first scene in the episode. So seems like another chaotic queer has entered the scene. Just wanted to remind you guys, if you weren't aware of that revelation or re-revelation, that that is the case with Paul, that we, he was mentioned, he was talked about, here, here he is. Gay Paul. Gay Paul is here and perhaps I'll be slightly nicer on him because he's queer, but he seems like he's still going to have chaotic man energy for Carolyn and that's that's what I don't like. Yeah, him and the whole touching on her shoulders and jabbing at her person without consent, without asking is Actually, you know what? That's actually maybe appropriate that he is that he's gay because that's actually something that is a bit of an issue with some gay men in clubs with women or other places that they feel because they are gay, they can put their hands in places without permission, without getting consent ahead of time because they are gay. And that is not the truth. It's not the truth. So that I don't, Hey, I really don't know what Suzanne was trying to get at. If she just got there randomly with that. Cool. If someone else, in the writer's room suggested it. Great. Um, but yeah, that's a, it's a minor thing. I've been bitten by people at the gay club. So and it's not, I haven't really fought anybody because I, I could get over it, depend, especially depending on how much booze I was having. But that's happened to me where some, if you are not friends with me and we are not like those types of friends, like don't put your hands on my person because I, I, you just assume that we all chill because we all into rainbow fun at the club. No, no. I'm big on running defense on my uh, friend circle. If I know that there are people who are in tow that think that they're, uh, that they can give where we're going a go and it's their first time going. We're boxing them in to make sure that they're not over, you over know, stimulated over, right, by over, what happens in there. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, random people diving Gay clubs in. are close and sweaty. They are very and so close. There are, there are ways to pass, you know, to cross boundaries. But like, if a person isn't cool with it, that's, that's not, <laughs> that's, that's what, that's what you don't do. Right. Um, but yes. Oh, I think I actually had another, uh, revelation here. And I feel like you actually mentioned it on your, I saw it in your notes somewhere, but that we know that Hugo sued MI6. Like oh, that is mm -hmm. a, a note that has made it out, which ugh, I just wanted Hugo to be dead. But it seems like he's whining after the fact. He is so traumatized that Eve left his ass to bleed out that actually this is what I said. This is what I said to you guys. I said if Hugo wasn't dead, that he would be upset at MI6 right. with good reason. And it seems that is the case. And since Hugo was a rich boy who only got the job because of his parents' connections, I hope he donated whatever he won from his lawsuit to charity. Hugo, to charity. But I doubt he did that. I don't think he did that at all. Oh, you know what? Um, for Revelation, we should play the alternate preview I found for Killing Eve. Management sucks. That's coming up this week. Okay, here we go. Poor Kelly. Don't pretend that you ever think of anyone but yourself. 
I want you to work with somebody first. I'm Felix. Just so you know, I'm kind of a big deal in this industry. Hey, if this is you, don't speak. What's Kenny working on before you do it? Then you taught me how to swear in Russian. Oh, I Carolyn. <laughs> So, I don't even know what market that comes what? from. What? But it was on the Tumblr waves. And so, what's different from the trailer we played in the recap is that this trailer opens up with Constantine putting his hand on Carolyn's shoulder. And we don't see how she reacts, but I'm very excited to see that. We see there's a photo that reads, In loving memory of Kenneth Alfred Stoughton. So we get to see his full government. His middle name is Alfred. Oh, that feels very British. And it's on a table with flowers. And then we see a clip of Eve and Constantine. And Eve is basically like, bitch, I don't. I don't believe that you give a shit about anybody but yourself. And I I would agree that that's 99.9% true, probably. And after that scene, we get a clip of Dasha talking to Villanelle. And instead of the line of like, oh, take many lovers, she is saying to Villanelle, you need to work with someone first. And so what's interesting about that is because Villanelle's probably pushing about the keeper shit. And here is Dasha again. If I had to imagine being like, just wait a second. You have to do this first. Like last episode where she's like, well, yes, but do this first. Well, prove you can do this first. So I don't know how long Dasha's going to be able to keep doing that before Villanelle gets upset. And we just see a cut back to Villanelle shaking her head, looking annoyed, looking annoyed. Like, so I got to do something else before I actually get the thing I asked for. Great. And then we get a cut to Felix. And I'm like, why is Felix dressed like, um, I forget that term for like hood, white hoods but in Britain. Yeah, no, yeah. Chavs? Are they chavs? Is that what that is? But that's what Felix looks like. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I got that idea. Chav slang meaning. Oh, says derogatory. So if that was... <laughs> but I mean, I don't know if that means slur. I just think that means like... Like rude. Right. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what... That's the vibe I'm getting from Felix. And again, this... I'm just going to say this takes down my opinion of the 12. You out here with Felix's and you're giving them to Villanelle to train. I'm just, I'm just going to say I feel like I don't, again, not met Felix, but from what we're seeing, I just wanted to say. Okay. I mean, unless he's going to be some kind of uh, queer honeypot. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Who knows? So we see Felix. He's in his 90s attire and Villanelle is in the blue dress where she looks very annoyed to kind of have to train this guy. And she says, like, just so you know, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm kind of a big deal in this industry. After that scene, we get a clip of Eve listening to a message while she's at the bar that she probably works at, the bar of the restaurant she works at. It sounds like it's Pa's voice saying to give him a call back. Perhaps this has to do with something he finds of Kenny's stuff to do with the investigation or with Eve's name on it. Who knows? After that clip, we see Eve rushing to hold the bathroom door, presumably closed, like someone's trying to get in there while she's on the toilet. Interesting. And then we see Constantine peering through a window. We do not know where he is peering into, but he looks ever sinister as Constantine, his most sinister version of himself. We get what looks to be a very emotional shot of Carolyn with her assistant in the car. It doesn't seem to be the day that she maybe gets in a car crash because she doesn't have that jacket on. Again, she could have taken it off in the car, but I don't know. And so it looks like she's holding back tears in that brilliant way actors can do when they're really good. So super excited to see Fiona Shaw do this. And I don't know, like maybe Fiona Shaw is coming out with that uh, supporting actress mom this year. Because if there's ever things to give it that weight, it is Kenny dying for her to scoop that supporting actor Emmy. After that Carolyn clip, we see Geraldine 
talking to Konstantin about, oh, remember you taught me that Russian cuss word? Konstantin is like, oh, I did. I taught you that word. And then she says it. I don't know what that cuss word is. And he laughs his typical Konstantin laugh. And so that's interesting. As I said, I, I don't know if that means that she's his daughter anymore, but definitely some familiarity there, which could also explain why Constantine sees Geraldine again. And after that scene, we see Villanelle walking in flower dress with the giant tote and the flowers in her hair somewhere in Barcelona, going to her mansion to fa-la-la-la outside of the terrace that she's there. So I actually think now, even though you thought this was a palace for potentially getting married, that this is something Dasha arranges. It's part of what she wants, more money, something, a place cooler to live. Because we don't see the wife, this could be the wife's place. This could be the wife's place. But it looks like she's introducing herself to this place for the first time. Like mm. Dasha is like, here's your new home that courtesy of the 12, like the Paris flat, it's taken care of and you just get to live here and have it be awesome. So there's that. And then we have a final shot of Eve and it's through the door of that looking glass door that I thought could be a restaurant, but now I think it's a, a door with a circular window at the Bitter Pill, which is interesting because circular windows are rare for doors. It's just, right. It's a rare choice, so You're either, that has me. Right. Are you on a cruise ship? <laughs> are, are, you... Right. are you on a cruise ship or are you in an office? Right. What are we doing? So that's what it looks like. And then the final shot is at this party where Villanelle will be orchestrating a kill, more than likely with Felix, who looks uninspired which I'm like it's your first day on the job bro like perhaps fix your face and that's it so it's very different from what we got in America and perhaps this was also in America and we just didn't see it but it gives a more complete picture of the episode um the last revelation really was just a quick mention of Killing Eve ratings that we saw in Deadline and We found out that Killing Eve season three, the premiere drew 1.1 million total viewers across BBC America and AMC, which is good. Deadline reports that they did say it was like down some slight percentage points from the season two premiere last year. But overall, the ratings appeared to be holding strong for Killing Eve season three. Hopefully that maintains as the season continues and more Manic Panic is released. But so far, so good. Good numbers for that. I'm happy to hear that. I am oh so thrilled. Um, I was hoping at this point someone would have gotten me a translated uh, screen grab of uh, the text alerts that Constant was getting on his phone. So I could be like, this is what those said. But, you know, th- that didn't happen yet. <laughs> it has not happened. But I, I hold I did make requests. I didn't get right. any of them. I, I hold hope that it will come up soon. But just, you know, not yet. All right. Well, I guess we can uh, dance on over to musings now. Hmm. Well, hmm. Musings. Any any thoughts? Ponderings. Any feelings? Wonderings. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, If I had to wrap up this musing, I'm going to... Is it a... Should I start from Raymond? What I'm trying to do is try to figure out what started and what stopped... Uh, the doomsday clock for Eve and everyone that she loves. Uh, Because when we pick up after the time skip, Eve has a, you know, an apartment. It's not in the best (laughs) kept condition. Um, That could be for offensive and defensive purposes. You know, someone's trying to sneak in your house and they're knocking over, you know, takeout containers and empty bags of chips. You're going to hear them coming. So, you know. I feel like there's other forms of security (laughs) that don't require like creating places for ants and I mean, to no, thrive, no, no, but no. My anxiety sure. when I saw her room, sure. because especially the tissues that like didn't find the wastebasket. The Caribbean and me cannot take the mess. 
that's not how my mama raised me to deal with the mess. So it just in general, that whole place. Right. Like I, I would turn into my mom and my aunties and I would walk in and clean. Like right. Kenny, I wouldn't have woken her up with just staring at her creepy like like Kenny was. I would have woken her up because she would have heard stuff. She'd have heard the broom. She'd have heard the vacuum go on. Right. She'd be like, oh, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, bitch, I'm just cleaning, bitch. Because look at this fucking shit. Housekeeping, Look. right. I said no. Do no something. housekeeping. No, no. Mm-mm. And um, we find out from uh, Eve's boss that the hookup, this job that she has, um, the woman who owns or manages that restaurant that she works at is good friends with her aunt. And she was uh, beckoned by the aunt to make sure that Eve is well taken care of, which is why she was trying to, you know, promote her to the front so that she could, you know, make more money versus just be like a grunt. Um, but maybe Eve is doing the proud uh, first. Um, you Jen. mentioned that in the recap. I do disagree with that being Eve's motivation. I know. Thanks some some listeners for writing in to share what you why you think Eve is living in squalor. I think it's self inflicted pain on her on her thing. But yeah, no, no, continue. And and she's doing this whole you know, I'm not ready to be found yet because she's still recovering. She's still licking her wounds. She's still healing. And I would imagine an Eve who was in the front would run into, you know, maybe like the one of those goons from Rome who likes sushi, apparently, and is going to be like, oh, you know, I want to pick you up after your shift. I didn't see you there. That seems random as super hell. random. Super I guess. random. <laughs> but I guess that random Russian being in New Malden, I feel like that's I mean, but anyone sitting at a, a table reach. would be You seem to think the doomsday clock was stopped. I don't. <laughs> I really don't. So do you think other people just getting off and you just didn't know? <laughs> no, I just think it's still ticking. I think that's what it means. I think that for whatever reason, it's just ticking slower. Like, oh, we are only 10 minutes to doomsday. And so that doesn't mean that Eve won't lose. I mean, she already lost Kenny. So, hello, the clock is ticking down. She could lose her aunt that we just heard about over the phone. She could lose her parents. She could lose random people at the restaurant. She could lose her future new coworkers. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's the clock is still ticking. That's the point of the clock. The 12 exists, so the clock is there. Just because she's in New Malden doesn't mean it's not ticking. It's just probably now two minutes to doomsday versus the 10 minutes that was before because Kenny dying is a catalyst to Eve heading back on that, that collision course for Villanelle, which usually just like results in a whole lot of violence. So, oh, Eve. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. Best of luck to you. And I have been wondering whether or not she's actively been using her phone for anything more than a time check and maybe calling into like Bill's voicemail still and listening to him and feeling all the extra sad and woe if she's even doing that. I'm wondering if that drunk text was one of the first outgoing messages that she sent to someone that was not the house realtor. Mm. And it's like, oh, we have activity. Who's this? Oh, there's been a trace. And now it's like a location is compromised. I'm wondering if I don't know why you're acting like this wasn't the same show that had an Excel document for Peel's thing. Like you're, I'm just no, I'm serious. No, I'm just trying to figure out where you're going with the story. Killing Eve has never been CSI. Killing Eve doesn't do that. There are other shows out there that are like, let's be on the cutting edge. Like I feel like that's what Bones was trying to do. Let's be on the cutting edge of of crime and science. What you're talking about with these writers, 
especially with Suzanne's background with The Walking Dead. I'm just really trying to figure out where you're getting Mission Impossible. Like, where? What do you mean? <laughs> what? If Aaron Peel had ended up being cooler than he was, indicating that someone on the writing staff had some idea of this nerdism or researched it, then maybe I could, like, give this Palastri theory time. But I simply cannot. The Killing Eve has demonstrated that when it comes to technological know-how and writing in that way, that's not their strength. That's not what they do. And that's okay. That's fine. Just leave it alone. Don't even discuss it. Because if you try, you'll fail. Just like Aaron's login. For anyone with a piece of science knowledge of computers, looks at Aaron's login and says, this is nothing for a hacker. I don't know what you're, why you're trying to convince me this is for a hacker. You're full of lies. So I, I'm forever biased about that. Because you can't include science with Killing Eve. Where the science at? Where is it at? It doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, then there's no science on the team. There's no scientist to be like, I was checking these trends for this, you know, Well, material. that was Kenny and he's dead. Right. So, but listen, we have what, no science guy. So we have Kenny who is now dead. We don't know how he died. We know that he was, his body was um, without his cell phone because he found it, without his headphones because it was shown in the screen. And um, his computer looked like it was still there. So whoever was there wasn't trying to, I guess, manipulate data further or whatever. So, like, someone can run some program through his computer to see what he was doing on it. Like, that's not but that's beyond. Probably, that's probably not just the issue. It's not the issue of what he knew or was doing. It's about what he wanted to do with that information. Kenny has been known about the 12. Just like Eve, they've been knowing that the 12 exists. Whether or not Kenny was looking to expose the 12, that is a problem. That is a problem potentially someone wants to solve. But I don't think just them knowing the 12 exists is enough. It's if there's intent to be like, here are these kills and I'm going to publish this somewhere. Because whether or not Kenny can put together the dots to be like, what is the new world order these these people want? The 12, someone else potentially could like an Eve to be like, oh, look at this blog post. Look at these people murdered. I'm putting two plus two plus two together. It's six. And so they can't have that shit. Because if it goes out there, someone from Interpol can look at it. Someone right. from the FBI can look at it. Someone from whatever. Whatever secret place is it any country and so they are best to not have any discussions on the internet about their conspiracy theories because once it's out there it's out there for anyone to think so i feel like kenny just musing about it this entire time he's been musing for six months he looked like he was like as people were saying are you close to publishing are you close to like sharing with people what this is and he's like i still don't really know what this is I think that's part of it. And then him reconnecting with Eve in particular, because maybe Kenny by himself was not a threat. Kenny trying to talk and be back with Eve is a threat potentially. Yeah. Well, by you mentioning that, that aligns with my theory of everyone in Bitter Pill. Well, maybe not Pa, but Dreads and um, the Redhead definitely being like, I don't want to say tails or maybe tail is the term, but just um, people just, marks or whatever you want to call someone who is monitoring the behavior of someone individually maybe all those game nights were ways to maintain kenny's social distance from whomever he needed to be socially distanced from maybe it was eve where he said you know the only way that you'll survive in this business is to be a, a social recluse like the rest of us and it's like who, well I, right and it's but like he didn't speak to eve well he said i got plans tonight and from there the guy was like oh so we're so that's it then so like maybe that yeah, but was... if you imply <laughs> that the bitter pill is monitoring monitoring kenny they don't need all that shit they are already looking at his text messages so the minute he gets a drunk text from eve they know 
Because you can't have one side and not have the other. If you're going to say, oh, Dreads is in on it, oh, Redhead is in on it, then you have to also then they, they are tapping his phones and they are, they have something installed in his computer and his, in his iPhone or whatever that says you just send a text, you just send an email. I would then argue that you would have to be very good at it to get it on a Kenny's phone. But again, I just have to say, no one at Killing Eve has necessarily demonstrated that they are technically savvy. And so they could just be overlooking the fact that people like Kenny simply would not just have a phone. That you just, you turn it on and there it is without any sort of protection right. for someone who could get it. So again, it depends on how they write stuff. They did write the line, Billy from the other side of the bridge. And that <laughs> makes no sense. And I don't know if anyone will ever acknowledge the insanities of Billy from the other side of the bridge in New York City, but they wrote that shit. And so I just think writers should stay in their lane of expertise, you know, or consult with somebody to do it. And then they wrote the line, um, it's um when his Haribo, his Haribo candies or whatever they were called were missing, he was like, it's candies today, data tomorrow. And so like, it's just making me think, okay, maybe if you do have all this data because you already did all this hacking, maybe that's why you could leave his phone where it is. Maybe that's why you could leave his computer where it is because you don't need it because you have everything that you need from it. It doesn't mean that that's what they did. It just... But why would they need their own information? They need to know where Kenny's sending it because they already know. They already know we killed that guy. We killed Fushtuk. We killed Bill. We killed Frank. We killed other people. They know that shit. They're more like, where are you trying to send that information? Who are you trying to send it to? And might someone believe you? If someone might believe you or cause an issue, then we have a problem. When you're looking crazy and like a conspiracy theorist, there's no reason to take a person out because no one's That's taking you true. seriously. If someone is validating you, then it's an actual threat. I don't know what is going on with Kenny and his things. I don't know what is on the Rubik's. I don't know what clues he gave. I don't know what. I just hope it makes sense for who they set Kenny up to be, which is a very skilled hacker. Skilled enough to work for MI6 and better at setting up an Instagram fake page than Hugo. So they have to at least keep some of that in mind when writing the breadcrumbs that Kenny will leave behind or certainly has left behind for his mother and for Eve to find. Well, I just hope that if we are doing more bitter pill centric stuff, it's just getting to the bottom of who's not who they seem in the bitter pill because I already feel like the staff is looming foul and, and I need that to come to fruition. So that's going to be the train that I'm on for the redhead and dread. And I don't know if they're going to be like trying to throw Eve off or to be done with Eve. And Eve's going to be like the adamant one to be around until they feel that Eve is a problem. And then that becomes its own subplot later on. But that's sort of what But why I'm... would you think that they don't think Eve is a problem now when Villanova was sent to look after her? Like, it's like almost you're forgetting season one. They already are aware of Eve Palastri. They're aware of her skills. And they did not think she was a problem in season one. They were like, watch her. Villanelle and her obsession and her sapphic interest changed what the 12 was up to. We don't know what they were doing. They could have been trying to recruit the same way Carolyn was to be like, we see you on the spectrum. So the, the 12 knows that Eve is there, but what is Eve? What is Eve? Is she a threat? Is she an asset? Can she be manipulated? I think those are the questions to ask, not whether or not they know she exists because they totally knew in episode one, there's an Eve Palastri. She's working with the Carolyn Martins. There's a secret thing, but just watch her. Just, just see what they're doing over there. And so they know, they know that she exists and chances are they know she's alive. So why now? Why now? Suzanne will let us know. But I think, you know, it'll have to do with Kenny's investigation in particular and what he was about to potentially do that they could see with their monitoring because I guess someone was smarter than Kenny on the other team and they got his ass. Well, I'm glad you found a way to 
frame it that is that's plausible that's an alternative to the reality that I seem to be living in where I want because <laughs> I want this to be I, I like I want a piece of this to be who done it but moreover to be like but how do you feel about what was done are you really how do you like what are your thoughts on <laughs> what are your thoughts on global destabilization like what are your thoughts on like how how dejected from morals are you really right now and like what could you really stand to be doing who's that question being posed to uh, Eve Palacio yes by whomst? I can't say Pa because I want Pa to not really know what Dread and Redhead is doing. I don't know oh, how that's going to work. Oh, this is your whole work. fantasy yes. Whatever. I'm deleting myself from <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> there's no sense to be found. I can't even try to make it plausible when you just out here talking wild. So, okay, great. Pa is potentially the only one not in on the game with Dread and Red who work for the 12 according right. to Terrence along with everyone else in the Bitter Pill. All right, well, I will go to my first musing. Let's see, which one shall I choose? All right, I'll start with Dasha. I was going to muse a bit about Dasha because I have gone on for some time now about my disappointments where Dasha is concerned. And so I just wanted to expand on a little bit of what I meant so you guys could see where my mind is coming from and why I'm not altogether pleased with Dasha. There's a number of things that the part of me that is very detail-oriented has a problem with. So I tried to workshop in my head a little bit, like what could they have done differently or additionally with Dasha that would have me feel differently about what's happened here? And so it's like, okay, there's sort of two ways that you can switch this around and make it more attractive for me. I kind of hinted at this before where I said if Dasha did a better kill. Like I said before, something more brutal and gory, some sort of ripping, some sort of blood splashing and things like that. And after marinating some more on it, two things really actually now kind of pissed me off that they didn't take advantage of. And so the first nerdy aspect is the gymnastics. They specifically make a point of showing us Dasha in the 70s. Specifically, they're like, we're going to show you Dasha in the 70s. She's in the 70s. It is relevant to the story. Gymnastics, 70s. Right. The kind of gymnastics Dasha is doing on the uneven bars, they're modern gymnastics. I don't know how many of you people out there are aware of gymnastic styles and things of that nature and how it changed from what was happening in the 70s versus what would be happening um, post the mid 80s into the 90s and of course into the present. But it is nothing nothing like the style that we see now and well I don't know what people think but just from what my eye can see I would assume that many of the changes that are banned and and when I say this I mean not being seen in 30 years 35 years were probably harsher on the hips and knees for how you were landing in terms of like long-term injuries for any of you guys out there who maybe played any kind of sports and you know what impact landings can do to your joints that I'll have to pull up on these videos later for you but if you're not familiar with gymnastics you can see it and so the issue here here is like anything else. Billy from the other side of the bridge. If you're working with people who don't know what you're talking about, they just accept it. Like Luke Cage and those horrible Jamaican accents. Oh, Lord. But if you do know, if you are familiar with gymnastics, it, to me it's also like tennis. It's like open error, non-open error. There's a difference in, in style of play. There's a difference in the force of hit that players use. And so you, you can't say, here's a tennis match from 1937 and have people playing and serving like Serena did when she was fucking 16 years old. It doesn't work. And so it could, it could, but it's kind of annoying for me who likes details that they went through the trouble 
of doing all that set up visually to say it was the 70s, but I guess couldn't be bothered to research gymnastics in the 70s or to fact check that or to do something appropriately to let people know that this is that this is what was going on. And so that that part aside, the other half of that of not utilizing Dasha as a gymnast is the fact that when I thought about it, I was like, why didn't they incorporate her gymnast skills? What is the point of showing us Dasha as a gymnast if Dasha does not use her gymnast skills to kill somebody? Why? Just why? It just seems like a, a wasted opportunity. And especially when it comes to women, I feel like I've mentioned this before. Anyone familiar with Mortal Kombat and Sonya Blade? She's a very popular character. A lot of women fighters, wrestlers, martial artists, their thighs are the strongest things they have. Yep. And so realistically, if I was going to redo the scene and try to make Dasha cooler and also say, here's this woman who has these incredible skills as a gymnast and she's going to invert them for murder skills, have her crush his head with her thighs. You can do it and be fantastical like you were with the wedding and like blood comes out his ears or his eyes because some women can apply a decent amount of pressure or she could just choke him out with the legs or done a sewing blade and flung him out with them legs and then beat him brutally like she still did and done the powder but I think it was a massive missed opportunity to suggest you have a person like Dasha who apparently loved gymnastics so much she's teaching it now to kids even though she hates those damn kids but she doesn't use any of her gymnastic skills and so to that end, one step even further for why I feel like they fucked up the Dasha thing. If you're going to say Dasha's out here killing and she's super impressive, why not give us a kill that is a throwback to something Villanelle already did? To show us that Villanelle had some piece of inspiration from right. this woman, Dasha. And of the kills we've seen, one of the easiest ones to do probably would have been the Italian murder with the pin. Where you have Dasha in the flashback incorporate some type of pin, but actually make her pin cooler. Make it something cooler that she did. And if you're going to compare to Villanelle and you're going to show her young, why can't you show her being a boss? Looking fly, walking into a scene right. like a honeypot's supposed to do. It's the 70s. That's what Carolyn was talking about. And so in general, a lot of things were missed when I further marinated on it and things that I just feel like they could have enhanced. And even if you take the fact that she's teaching kids right now, as she was showing Villanelle, there is the change of line when she's talking to little girls. You girls couldn't even fathom what the fuck I was doing in 75. We don't do it. hasn't been done for 30 years. Bitch, you know what it is to, to, to twirl on your hip. But they didn't give her any of that, any of that background whatsoever. And so I just feel like the gymnastic aspect was wasted because it's inaccurate, which is going to give some people groceries like myself when they watch it. Two, it does not apply to her killing skills, which is weird. When they put the gymnast Very in Ocean's weird. Eleven, he was in there because he could climb and do stuff. And three doesn't connect to a previous Villanelle kill. They connect it to a current Villanelle kill, which reduces the impact for me. So those were my things. Uh, she should have crushed that man with her thighs or done something gymnast-related to add to her skills. Because I just don't know why you're a gymnast and you don't use the skills. I just, uh, why why wouldn't you? You would use every skill at your disposal to do away with somebody. But, you know, that's, that's how I would have made Dasha better in one of those ways. For those people who are curious about, what's going on with Dasha? I just more accurate, more gory, and more specialized. Because again, yes. if you're going to get me to believe that she is supposed to be better than Villanelle, does she speak as many languages? There's nothing to say that she does. So if that's not the case, you got to say that she was a bombshell, so easy to blend the way Villanelle does, and that she actually 
actually had a skill that potentially Villanelle doesn't have, which would be the gymnastics. This bitch can flip. This bitch can belay off the thing. And actually, if we go back to the Italian dude and Villanelle climbing, they could have paralleled that whole thing. Oh, here's Villanelle climbing up the thing, but here's Dasha on her fucking Electra shit. And she's climbing like she's a spider. Way too flexible. But they didn't do that. So just to me, missed opportunity for me to feel like Dasha was really cool versus them telling me she's really cool and me just having to force myself to believe it for the sake of the story. See, now in my head, I see the tongue bite. I see the throat chop. And then I see her kind of jump on him and do that weird flip thing that like ScarJo's stunt double does. Um, where it's, like, a, it's a popular leg move. But if you're doing Muay Thai or a few other um, disciplines that use a lot of legs, like I say, for women, it is a ladies. I, I would advise it, but it's a, it's a very good tool. The thighs are very strong. Right. You can do lots of damage with your legs and you can get control of a man. Lock him up. And I'm just sad. When you got Atomic Blondes out there and motherfucking Scarlet out there doing stuff and even in that whack-ass film with Jennifer Lawrence, that horrible film, Red, oh, whatever the fuck, yeah, Sparrow, you still have yeah. all these people trying to one-up the previous creator with, oh, look at this death. Oh, look at how gory and interesting it is. And so I'm just like, missed opportunity, just missed. How can we make this just a little bit cooler? How can we make this just look like she has a piece of skill? That is beyond being an angry misandrist, which is a wonderful skill. But that's all I see of Dasha. Because if she was biting her own boyfriend's lip, that is just straight misandry. And I'm not mad at it, but it's not, it doesn't require a special skill. It just requires like having an attitude, which she did definitely had in the 70s. It's it's fascinating that this would be the kill they want us to focus on. Because it can't, I don't want to say this is Dasha's first. It it, it was an... actually, yes, it is. Oh. <laughs> There's a BTS clip going around. From Killing Eve for this episode one. And it took me aback a little bit because I was like, oh, because they were talking about how amazing the kill was. And, you know, I think it was basic. So I disagree there. But in the BTS scene, they imply that it was her boyfriend and that this was Dasha's first kill. And it's her famous kill that all the other people know, like how she says to Villanelle in the show. So that's what that is. It doesn't all come across the way they show it. Like, oh, that's a boyfriend. But that is what they say. Mm. They say this is Dasha's boyfriend. She freaks out on him because she's having a bad day, kills him. That is her first kill. That is the famous kill. So I just have a hard time believing that anybody would get hired off KGB. I literally imagined a whole scenario where she was walking into some Soviet meeting like Gal Gadot and fucking the first Wonder Woman. And she then in private aggresses on someone that she was supposed to be maybe maybe in league with the sports or whatever or the military because it's Soviet Russia. And then someone has a secret camera and they see her and they see how she used her special gymnastic legs to choke a bitch out. And they're like, well, maybe we should get this bitch on the side of the KGB of what we do here in Soviet Russia because she got skills. And so I just, I don't, it is what it See, is. See, that's the young Constantine, young Carolyn drama featuring Dasha that you're creating in your head and that's the story i do want to see i don't that know story. dasha is in their drama but she could no be. no well i mean you know what i mean like it's it's they're close enough to each other but they may not be always on the same missions with each other or on the same side but see that's what i mean like dasha has the potential to be a foil to carolyn if right. they do it correctly so that's my right. point both scary different types of scary carolyn is in the office she wears her suit and her loafers dasha for all intents and purposes, is a straight misandry. She's supposed to be scary and gory. Just show me. That's all. I watch horror films all the times. You can show me gore and what is rude and fucked up. And certainly The Walking Dead has had plenty of scenes where you're like, that took it too fucking far. And so I don't know what the BBC censors are like. I don't know what, whatever. I'm just saying one of those things would have made it better for me. More gore, relevant to gymnastics, 
accurate gymnastics or just change the scenario altogether. Delete the gymnastics and make it something else that is right. relevant to how she does the murder. But by the time I was done, I had a whole mini movie in my head for Dash. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> if only. I definitely wanted, I don't know. When those that year came, I was like, oh, maybe Young Carolyn. No. No, it's not. It's young. <laughs> but it would have been fun to get a young Carolyn. Or maybe even what if they give us Massandra's Carolyn? And maybe that's but, why, the but you say that as if Carolyn's not a misandrist every day. I have to reject that. Carolyn no. is a misandrist every waking moment of breathing. <laughs> she doesn't become one. She is one. She's born that way. Like Lady Gaga said. <laughs> Baby, I was born this way. So <sighs> Those are my opinions on Carolyn as a misandrist. Always and forever.